Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio, show number 249, Busting Myths About Military Leadership. And I'm really excited to tell you, listener, that for the first time in four shows, I've actually got my guest already on the line. So unless we get cut off in the next three minutes, <laughs> the beginning of the show is going to go much more smoothly than the last few that you've heard me on. So uh, I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today, and we're going to today be talking about uh, challenging the myths around military leadership, telling you more about the mission engagement workshops uh, that my guest uh, runs, and will reveal how you can get involved in them. So I am an engagement consultant working with the Engage for Success movement, and the Engage for Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there's a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, and we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private, and third sectors. If you go to our website, engageforsuccess.org, you can use the link at the top of the page to join our newsletter list, and we mail out uh, usually at the end of the week, uh, or as in this case, early on a Monday morning if I haven't uh, done it over the weekend. Um, but yeah, we normally mail out every week and let you know what's happening in the movement and let you know about some of the events that are, are going on. Uh, so do go to the website if you'd like to get onto that list. If you tweet, please share your thoughts using our hashtag, which is hash E4S, um, and our Twitter ID is engage4success with the number 4. And come and join us in our LinkedIn group. If you just go to LinkedIn and search for Engage Success, then you can join us there. And also you can find our social media links at the bottom of our homepage in the, in the footer. Uh, so welcome, and uh, welcome to our, my guest for today, who, as I said, I'm very excited to uh, say is actually here, uh, who is uh, Ian Jardine, who's Naval Aviator, Leadership Instructor, and Performance Coach. So um, real interesting combination there. So welcome, Ian. Great to have you with me today. Oh, and then it's gone silent. <laughs> Let me just click the buttons and see whether... whether there's an issue. Ian, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, you can hear I can hear you, yes. It's, it does happen before. Isn't that funny? After I really bigged up the fact that you were here, it sounded like you weren't, but you were all along, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to do that on purpose anyway, just to wind you up. I did imagine that that might be what you were doing, and I thought, no, it's gone on a bit too long now. So, Ian, welcome, and really good to have you with us. Tell us a bit about who you are, and tell us a bit about your background. It sounds like a really interesting combination of skills. Uh, yeah, thanks, Joe. Uh, thanks for the intro. So, yeah, Navy helicopter instructor and performance coach. So, uh, I joined the Navy in 2002 um, to be a pilot. So, we go through a year's worth of officer training uh, before we start flying. Uh, and then do fixed wing aircraft, so light training aircraft, before moving on to the basic helicopter trainer. And then operated uh, the Merlin helicopter on frontline operations around the world for a few years. And then I was selected to be, in, to be an instructor. And it's really when I was selected to become an instructor that this whole kind of mission engagement story comes in. Because um, it was when I was training to become an instructor that I realized that um, I had a, a bit of an issue with motivation 
So when I was going through my instructor's course, I found it really tough. And I think one of the reasons why I found it really tough was my um, motivation towards it, as in uh, I had been selected for it. And on the face of it, you know, I'd agreed to do it. And I said that, yeah, that's what I, what I wanted to do. But because I didn't really see it as one of my main goals in life, it wasn't an ambition of mine. Guess what? When the, when the going got tough, the tough got going. And, um, mm-hmm. and I, well, this isn't, this isn't really what I want to do. So, so I was going to quit. And so, you know, I had a fantastic opportunity of becoming an instructor and I was going to throw it all away. And I was really, really fortunate that the MOD and the armed forces had been invested in performance coaching. And just as I was going to throw in the towel and basically destroy my career, um, I had the great fortune of being offered performance coaching. So I took it up. And it really, really helped me understand my own ambitions and my goals and what I was going to do to achieve them. And so that's where this kind of mission engagement really kicks in for me, is that it helped me understand that actually leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about helping them find their own motivation. So I was a, um, so I passed the course in the end. So I took the performance coaching, I used it, I achieved my goals, I passed the course. And then I became a, a helicopter instructor. So I taught at the Defence Helicopter Flying School at RAF Shawbury uh, for a couple of years, which was a fantastic privilege teaching the pilots of the Navy, the Army and the Air Force um, at RAF Shawbury. And then I went to become a staff officer at the Britannia Royal Naval College at Dartmouth, which is where we trained the Royal Navy officers and officers from navies from all over the world. In fact, at a recent Heads of Navies conference, it turned out that there were 26 other Heads of Navies that were trained at our college. Um, so it was a fantastic place to work, um, a place with great purpose and um, a very international feel to it. So that was, so, and I got to practice and my kind of leadership training and coaching there. And my current job is to train Royal Navy pilots how to fly the Merlin helicopter and prepare them to fly on operations around the world. Um, so, you know, I've had, a, I've had a fantastic career. I'm just coming to the end of it now. So I've reached my 16-year 16, 16 point in the Navy. Um, so 16 years to my end of my commission. And, um, and I'm now moving into the, the world of um, training and coaching outside of the Navy. So a mission engagement is my transition of taking what I've learned from my time in the Navy out into the, out into the big wide world. And, um, yeah, it's been really enjoyable so far. So I'm interested in the um, the bit about uh, not wanting to be an instructor and being sort of not being motivated to do that and then being helped to sort of change your thoughts. Um, because so so, but I sort of have this impression that when you join the military, that there's a quite structured um, sort of promotion ladder and you know what it is sort of when you join. Were there other options, or, or is that what people expect you to do? You become an instructor as a natural part of your, your development, and you just didn't want to, to do that, or did you want to do something different? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So <clears throat> I actually wanted to go and fly um, fixed wing instead of become an instructor on helicopters. I actually wanted to go and fly fixed wing aircraft. Um, but the, the deal I came to with the, with the career manager was that instead of flying fixed wing and instructing on fixed wing, I could go and fly on helicopters. Um, so, oh, sorry, go and instruct, instruct on helicopters. So I, I said yes to it because, you know, it was a 
it was a good deal. The place where we were going to live was was good, and I knew that it was going to help me prepare the higher ranks in my in my career. So yeah, like you say, it is quite a structured career path, and the helicopter instructor route would have opened up more doors for me in my career. But my my heart wasn't in it, so I agreed to do it. But I didn't really a believe that I was good enough to do it, and b it wasn't you know, burning ambition. So. As well as it being an ambition issue, there was a confidence issue. No, I didn't. I didn't think I was as good as the other guys that were on that course. So that that held me back. You know, that held my performance back because we all know that you know when you when you're working hard, when you when you're at the edge of your performance, confidence is a really really important thing. Hmm. So the 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 performance management learning that you did that then helped to change your view what what was that and what 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 was the 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 thing that that enabled you to have a different perspective yeah well the performance coaching that we did so um the RAF had trained up a number of performance coaches so they were air crew um, experienced air crew experienced air crew instructors um, that were then trained up with particular coaching techniques. And um, I was given a coach, uh, a guy called um, uh, Ray Wilkinson, and he was absolutely fantastic. So he was an ex-Navy pilot, and we sat down together. And I don't know if, uh, I'm, not, I'm sure you're aware of the coaching process, but essentially he asked me, you know, what is it that I wanted to achieve? Where did I want to go? And you know, what did I think was holding me back? And you know, it was frank conversations, um, and it was helping me understand where I was at. And that was the that was the real power of it. And that's what I've tried to take forward with me as an instructor and as a coach now is that that moment of self-realization of where I was, what was going on, what I was scared of, what I thought was holding me back, and then kind of attacking and, and approaching each one of those different factors uh, which helped me mm. realize this is what I can do about it so uh, many people see the military as being a sort of very structured sort of still command and control sort of top-down leadership type place and I mean I, I personally have a, a, a very good friend who's in the military, so I know that isn't the case because he, he talks to me a lot about how things are for him. But, you know, generally everything we probably hear in the um, popular discussion about the military, people, you know, if you ask the average person on the street, they'd probably tell you they thought it was, um, you know, very authoritarian and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, that doesn't sound like performance coaching. It doesn't sound like the experience that you're just describing to me. So... So what, where's that mismatch? You know, is there a mismatch? And, and, you know, if so, why is that the case? Yeah, so from, from my experience of, of coaching, it helped me understand that actually if you have someone who is self-motivated and wants to perform a task, it's a lot more powerful than just telling someone to do it. So it's been part of my own leadership journey as I've, progressed and, and got promoted inside the forces I've taken that with me and so I'm sure everyone's experienced a workplace where they've been told what to do where they you know are ordered to do something where they're told that you do this or else and nobody 
responds well to those situations. Yeah, occasionally, you know, that has to be deployed and you do have to do something. But actually, people like having the self-determination and the ability to choose for themselves what to do, particularly if you're in a highly skilled or um, a high-level job where you know how to perform your task. In fact, you, you know, if you're a specialist, you, you know it better than anyone else. So to be told that you have to do something um, doesn't work. And so as I've progressed with the military, I've realized that people know their jobs generally, unless you're training someone, preparing someone to do a different job, they know how to do it. And you can tell them what the overall goal is, what you want them to achieve in the end. But you don't need to tell them exactly how to do it and micromanage their job. And so the, the busting myth of military leadership is the best military leaders employ the plan, brief, execute, debrief model um, and the cycle that we use in military aviation in particular, where you give people a plan up front of what you're looking to achieve overall. You get them involved with it so they can input into it and they feel part of it. And then you have a brief, so you make sure that everybody understands what's going to be achieved, what the limitations are, and then you hand over mission command. So this is what I talked about in my mission engagement workshops. You hand over mission command to the team to actually go and deliver it in the way that they know how, rather than you micromanaging everything they do. And so that's what we taught at the Naval College. That's what we teach at aviation. And that's what we employ every day when we're flying is a plan brief, execute debrief um, model to make sure that people engage in the whole process of understanding what they're going to do, making sure the team, whole team is on the same page, and then going and delivering it. And then I'll, we'll talk about the debrief a bit later. Mm. So in your role as a leader in that process, what, what are you doing at each of those stages? So with, with regards to the planning, so the, the leader, for example, would be given the overall task. So they'd get the, the task given to them by another authority, you know, probably a higher authority, and they would understand what the overall task is. And the leader, their job to get their people involved in the plan, to tell them what the overall situation is, and to bring in the different expertise of the group. And this is part of what the mission engagement workshop is. And so I use a use a, a practical planning exercise so it's an interactive planning exercise where people can actually step into the shoes of a, of a military planner and they can get involved with making a plan so the different members of the team are given different jobs so one is the team leader who would have the overall mission there's another one who's in charge of all the air units one in charge of the surface ships one in charge of the amphibious units and then we have a couple of people normally that are in charge of understanding what the enemy capabilities are. And the leader's job is to get those people around the table discussing their information and putting a plan together. Then the leader typically in the brief would set up the brief, make sure that the guys are ready to deliver it, understand who's going to do what part of the brief um, so that it can be clearly carried out and made sure that everybody understands what's what's going to happen. Um, the mission engagement workshop, uh, we spend a bit of time on this at the end of the planning exercise so that people can understand how to give a clear brief at the end of their, their planning session so that everybody understands what the mission is, 
what everybody's doing in the team, what their limitations are, contingencies for if things go wrong, uh, and then finally, if there's any um, extra logistics or communications issues that they need to cover. Um, so, so really, it's making sure that people are involved in the planning process and everybody understands what the situation is up front. Because that's where the micromanaging can creep in, is that if you don't tell people up front what they've got to achieve, then we've all experienced it. Someone just chips in with it, oh, you need to do this, you need to do this now. And then before you know it, they've taken control of the situation and, and they've taken, you know, taken ownership of the task when actually you want to you keep the team member or keep the team in charge of the task. You don't want to keep on chipping in there. And that's something I've experienced as a, you know, particularly as a flying instructor, is that it's best to tell people up front what you want them to achieve than let them get on with it. And then they can really learn how to, how to do it for themselves rather than you completely you know, interfering all the time. Hmm. So you've done all of that. They've 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 taken the action. They've they've done the execution bit, and then you've yeah. mentioned already that the, the final stage is about a debrief. What what's why is that important? What's that that all about? The debrief is absolutely critical because I'm sure we've all experienced it where we go into a project. So you know we'll put a plan together. We'll brief the team. We're going to carry out the project. Some things will go well, some things won't go well. And then what do we do afterwards? Do we go and celebrate? Do we move on to the next task, which is probably the, the thing that most of us can do uh, or have to do because you know, we're all really tight on time. We've got deadlines everywhere. So we just want, you know, once something's complete, we just want to move on. The problem with that is, though, is that you don't get to really pick out those learning points from it. And so it's all part of the whole experiential learning cycle where at the end of carrying out your project or your flight or your mission as, as we have in the military at the end of your mission then you sit down together and you go through the debrief and you actually pick apart what you did so that you can really reflect and figure out what went well what didn't go well and what you're going to implement next time you do it and it's not about making world-changing differences each time. You don't need to completely approach it in a different, in a different way. You know, small, iterative improvements are what ultimately you know, build success. Instead of going for massive gains and big changes each time, if you just make these little nudges along the way, these little changes will keep you on top of your game and make improvements each time. And so, yeah, we use it in military missions and we use it um, particularly in aviation. It's part of our cycle. No one goes home until you've been a leader. Mm. And, and again, talk about the roles in that. So the leader, the leader's role in that, and, and the, the, the everyone else's role in that. Who, who's responsible for what? Yeah, so that's a good question. So the leader's role in the debrief. Some people um, might think, and you know, I've seen it in the past where the leader takes the debrief. You know, they'll they'll literally say, right. This is what we did. This is how it went. These are things that went well. These are things that didn't go well. Uh, this is what you need to do better. This is what you need to do better. Has anyone got any questions? And guess what? There's no questions. And people just go, right, that's, that's it. Debrief complete. But the problem with that yeah. is people engage with it. So a really useful place for the leader to be in a debrief is actually to 
just tee it up, just set it up, just ask the question. Now, how did it go? What do people think? Get people discussing it. Yeah, sure. You know, if the if the leader has got particular experience in an area, they can uh, and has noticed something that happened. Then yeah, it's important that they bring it up for the team to discuss. But actually, it's really important that everybody has the same rank in in the debrief. So you know, in the military, we all have different ranks, and some people are more um, higher up the the hierarchy in the food chain than others. But it's really important in a debrief that you all approach it from the same level and just say, look, we're here to get the learning point out of this. We're here to maximize our performance. So rank out the window. Let's just have a frank discussion about what just happened. And let's, you know, let's be honest with each other. And it's really very useful for the leader to set the tone. So I had an instance in a debrief um, over the past year where we flew a sortie. Um, I had to alter my flight or my flight path um, quite suddenly because I realized that we were, we were just about to fly into some airspace that I hadn't thought about. Now, the problem is, is I was flying with a junior crew and I was trying to show them the local area. So it was noticeable to them. So they noticed that I, that I had to make this short notice plan. And, and I knew myself. The thing is, I was the senior guy in the crew. So when it came around to the debrief, they wouldn't have brought it up. They wouldn't have asked me why I moved, my, you know, why I changed the flight flight path all of a sudden. They just yeah. wouldn't have done it because they've been thinking, oh, well, I'm not going to ask sir because you know, obviously it's not our place for challenge. But what's really useful is that, you know, if I if I make a mistake, it's really very useful if the leader actually puts their hand up and says, look, that's what happened. I actually had missed that bit of. Um, a, bit, a bit of airspace um, that I was going to fly through. I missed it in the planning. I hadn't considered it. You know, and it was only last minute that I realized that we were going to fly towards it. So that's why I had to make that change. And when I was talking to the guys in the debrief, it just opened them up. It just made them feel much better that I had admitted that because it then, by doing that as a leader, it means that other people can admit their mistakes as well. And when you've got everybody talking honestly about what they're what they've just done, what they've experienced, and what they've learned from it, you know, that's where the power is. It's no good. It's not just a tick box exercise where you'll just say, yeah, 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 that was fine. No problem. Let's move on. Let's get out of there. Let's go home. It's actually when you get in, down into the weeds of it, you do realize loads of things that can be learned from these different exercises, particularly from a flight. You know, if you're flying for a couple of hours, you're flying to different places, um, you're, you've got a bunch of different tasks that you need to do. Things are going to happen, and you know, much like any project in business, you know, they're rich learning experiences. You know, each time we do something, just because we've been trained to do it already, doesn't mean that we're not going to be able to learn anymore. And and that's what the debrief is all about. Yeah, yeah. So really vital, and um, it sounds. I suppose it's quite sort of military language, isn't it? What for, for your process, and and maybe that's something that that wouldn't be considered in a non-military sort of scenario I don't know. what would we call it I mean, we still would call it a debrief i suppose but a review what was the cold learning circle i can't remember what the the last um yeah so the cold experiential learning that's the plan to uh, review and improve so yeah they become um i think toolbox talks and um wash-ups um you know hot wash is something you know hot wash up you do straight after an event and you know people yeah. people do employ them 
But from my point of view, mission engagement is all about stressing the importance of it and then showing people how to do it and actually giving people a chance to, to have a go at it with some feedback from um, from people that, that do it every day. And, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So tell us a bit more about the, the mission engagement workshop. As you say, your intention is for it to, to be very experiential for people to actually go through that process and... and, and work with a um you know like a, a live scenario um so so what are you taking people through and, and what what do people get from from those workshops so it's a half day workshop uh, so it starts off with a keynote speech from myself about 30 minutes worth and i explain um, the engaging leadership a bit about performance coaching and sort of bottom-up leadership um, that we've talked about and then i talk about the plan, brief, execute, debrief cycle. Then we go through some formats that we would use to do it. And then that's where we go into the interactive exercise where I split the group down into teams. So I can look after about 20 people by myself um, and I can bring in other facilitators if they need to do any more. And they all have a different role in the group, as I mentioned earlier. They are given a mission. So I give the team leaders a mission and the team leaders take it to their teams, they plan it together, and it's all based around a task group, a naval task group exercise or task group operation, where there's a humanitarian disaster, and the team have to go in there and make a plan of how how they're going to help the people on the ground. Um, They make the plan, then once they've gone through the planning phase, then they, they give a brief to another team where they actually go through the a similar kind of military style format to make sure that all the different areas of the plan are covered and then on completion of that then we run through a debrief and, and we use, uh, use coaching models to really help the team understand how they got on with the task what they can do better and what went well for them and their learning points from it of what they're going to employ in their workplace from the exercise um, I throw in a so I, I wear a flight suit while I'm doing it and we, I, <laughs> so we, we try and make it quite fun. So I have a flight suit. I give intelligence updates. Um, we suffer air raids during the exercise. So people have to get down and, um, and be prepared to make contingencies for if their ships are sunk. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's quite an immersive, interactive, fun in, um, thing. It's, it's unlike a normal classroom learning environment. Mm, yeah, and and then that that transferring it back into sort of real life, I guess because people have experienced the whole cycle, it it yeah. makes it easier for people to, to to sort of transfer it into a a real life situation. Yeah, that's it. And the groups that I've spoken to in the past, I found it particularly useful for um, matrix organisations where they assemble a team of different specialisms and trying to bring them together for. To, to get them to work towards this combined mission, sometimes a challenge. So mission engagements, the feedback I've had is really, really very effective for that kind of group. So the matrix organization bringing people together for a mission. And mm-hmm. I've had a lot of interest over the debrief aspect of it, but people, people know that it's an important thing to do, but they're just not sure what the best way of doing it is. And by showing people and getting people to have a go at it and using this, technique of the, the coaching techniques using the grow model to, to assess what the what the goal is 
what the reality so what actually happens and then how they're going to approach changing it in the future is, is something that's been really interested in yeah yeah so we're just going into the last sort of couple of minutes of the show um as i said before we came on it does go very quickly <laughs> um have you got a, a <laughs> yeah. final thought for for the listeners and then also how people can can get in touch and find out more about the uh, mission engagement yeah, sure. So, so mission engagement, it's all about busting those myths about military leadership. It's not top-down authoritarian. It's about bringing people together to work together towards the combined mission, you know, giving people a purpose. Um, people can get in touch with me and find out more about uh, mission engagement workshops uh, by going to missionengagement.com, so www.missionengagement.com. On there, it's got all the details about it, and it's got some videos from past events, uh, it's got my email and phone number on it, so if people want to get in touch and find out more um, and potentially book one for the future, um, they can find out more. Also, there are a number of events with Engage Success, so I do them for, um, on a voluntary basis for Engage Success over over the coming few months. So there's one in Milton Keynes in June, and there's another one in Kent in October, and so uh, those are a couple of events that are coming up, but yeah. I'm always prepared to do more for Engage Success. Lovely, and those will be on our website under the event section um, as we get more details and, and more organised to get them on there. <laughs> That's me, not you. <laughs> so, uh, lovely. Um, brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me today, Ian. It's been really interesting. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. And and thanks to Engage Success for letting me come on board and, and join in and um, help towards this mission of engagement. Lovely, thank you. So next week, just to let you know, we have David McLeod uh, coming on talking with Joe Moffat about the interview and content that came out from uh, the recent conference when he was interviewing Sir Eric Peacock. So do join us next time. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.